0: Hey, and welcome back to MugRacks at Movies, the show where we don't talk smack about movies, we celebrate them. Today, we'll be reviewing My Hero Academia, Heroes Rising, the latest MHA feature that we saw fresh out of theaters. And unfortunately, you cannot see in theaters anymore because all the theaters across the country have been shut down. Indefinitely. And because of that, naturally, that means we can't really record a whole lot of at-movies episodes on stuff that's in theaters. So what we're doing instead is that we're going to be recording episodes on movies that we have on DVD and Blu-ray at our home. And we have a poll linked in the description of this episode where you, the viewer, the fans, can vote on what movies you'd like to see us cover on at-movies in May. You can vote up to four films out of forty different choices of movies you want to see us to get to cover, like a bunch of Lupin films, a bunch of Ronma films, Tenchi Muyo films, Blue Over the Wall, Tomorrow's Joe. There's a ton of different options to choose from, so check them out. Vote for your favorites. What you'd like to see us cover. What you'd like to listen to podcasts about, and we'll cover them all on the show in May. But in the meantime, we've got our MHA Heroes Rising review for you coming up right now. It's time to go beyond Plus Ultra once again. Nighting Did my hero academia heroes rising go beyond or is this minus ultra? Welcome to Monk cat Movies, a show where we don't talk smack about movies, we celebrate it except on the rare occasions where we do talk smack about movies. And we will see which is the case today, but we are reviewing the latest My Hero Academia Theatrical feature. No, my Hero Academia Heroes Rising. Came out of Japan in December, came out here in the United States on February 26th, 2020, and it's doing pretty well at the box office in the States, ranked number four for the weekend it came out. And it has, to date, grossed over $10 million on its way, perhaps to gross just as much, if not more, than its Japanese Theatrical earnings, so that is quite
1: impressive, but does the movie itself rise to the occasion of being a super awesome
0: MHA adventure? Uh,
1: Again, we will see. But we have co-host Gdz here with us today. Hi. And we have Colton here with us today.
2: Go beyond, plus ultra, I am here.
1: (laughs) Yes, all the catchphrases.
2: (laughs) I should have went with "I am here, walking through the door like a normal person." <laughs> That's probably my favorite one.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Anyway, yes, this movie is the latest M J movie. There was a lot of hype about this movie because oh, it's based on Horikoshi's scrapped ending for the series. He, some ideas, and he had a cameo of the villains' movie in the manga at one point. Oh, a lot of hype! A lot of hype! And people were saying, oh, the last action scene's a super awesome spectacle. So, you know, there was a lot of anticipation for this movie, and it seems that it was definitely a crowd-pleaser. Fans really, really enjoyed it. Let's talk about our theatrical
2: experiences. Colton, I'm curious, how was the theatrical experience on your end? Uh, Well, I, I don't want to get too into specifics, because there were some moments kind of near the end of the movie where... Uh, where, unfortunately, some of uh, some of the people in my theater just uh, couldn't help but riff over the movie a little bit, so that was fun. You know, like, I'd like to think that, like, I- I've been blessed up to this point, because I see so many people online, and I have a lot of friends who are always like, man, every time I go to the movies, it always sucks, and I, and I ha- always hate the people around me, and I'm just like, and I'm always just thinking, like, man, I can't feel that, because usually usually i've I've been blessed with like at least decent theater audiences where like you know they'll react to the movie, and you know that's always fun, and I'm used to that kind of thing, and you know like I very rarely do I have people who actually like go out of their way to disrupt my experience and i mean at at the very at the very worst, like you know sometimes I'll go to a kid's movie or a family movie. And uh, somebody will bring their kids or their toddlers and they'll start crying and they'll have to like take them out of the room. And then, look, I think we should just incite a law that says if you try to bring in a child that is younger than toddler age, no, you should just, you should, you just don't bring young kids to the theaters, all right? They're not, oh God. <laughs> they're not going to remember this movie anyway, all right? Just wait till they're like four or five or something. I don't know.
3: That reminds me of the time (laughs) that we, like, uh, and I saw the movie Us, and someone brought their, like, infant baby to the movie. Why would you do that? Yeah, why would you want to traumatize them? And the baby was was crying the
1: entire time. Oh my god. I mean, I imagine any kid would be crying at the horrible (laughs) imagery in the movie that is very disturbing. But again, that's why you probably shouldn't take your kids to an R-rated film. I mean, I am sympathetic to you know people don't often have people they can leave their kids with. They can't hire a stuff. This
2: is true, yeah. And
1: it's tough, but there is definitely occasions, situations that you really shouldn't bring your child to a theater and expose them to certain films with certain content.
2: This is true, but um, yeah, just just to kind of cap my experience off I'll probably wait until a little later once we actually start talking about the movie to bring up specific moments but I mean overall it was it was really mostly during the end of the movie that the crowd was uh, sort of disruptive and not in like a fun way but uh, besides that like my theater crowd was okay like they had fun watching the movie it didn't have nearly the same amount of energy as like say like uh two heroes well i was i was even gonna say like one piece stampede Mm, yeah because even even when i went to see two heroes like i you know the the, uh my, my theater crowd for that i remember being more passive if anything they weren't really the kind of crowd to like react too much i don't know what it is about my my theater crowds and my hero they just I mean, I'm I'm assuming they're fans, but like I, I guess I just don't get those same kind of energetic crowds that uh, that I do for One Piece movies, apparently. So I don't know what's up with that. Interesting.
1: Well, we saw the film twice. On opening night, we saw it in Japanese, and we were really only intending to see the dub, but because we saw the Japanese, we went again to see the dub just the night before we are recording this. So we've seen it twice. I definitely... The first time around, I mean, it was a full theater, it was a bigger theater, and there were more people, so there were a little more reaction to things. It's kinda interesting to see what things were reacted to as strongly in the first and second screenings. I will say, one joke that definitely always killed was when they revealed they used Kaminari as the lightning rod, <laughs> that got lapsed <laughs laughs> in both screenings, and also, when Bakugo was treading Mahoro after she used her illusion thing, people enjoyed that. And do you remember any other notable bits where people were
3: reacting both times? Not really. I mean, I guess it was like the Mineta jokes.
1: Yeah, I think the Mineta jokes hopefully got some laughs.
3: Because no one likes Minetta. Minetta's trash.
1: Yeah, thankfully he was much more tolerable in this film. He didn't do any... Curvy stuff, and all the jokes are at his expense for being someone no one cares about. It. And being easily tricked and fooled. So, that was decent at the very least. Tolerable, indeed. And, yeah, definitely the first screening, dough. A little more energy in the room, a little more excitement, a little more shock at certain moments. Especially the big, dramatic moment towards the end. Second screening was a little more quiet and silent, even though there were kids in both screenings, like second screening was still pretty silent through most of the movie outside a few chuckle wordy bits. So definitely not as much energy as I expected, especially since when I saw Two Heroes a year and a half ago when that came out, that screening was very energetic, enthusiastic, and squealed whenever their favorite characters came on screen and cheered. And these screenings were
3: much more lax. That's funny you say that, because I remember I saw the screening right after you at the same theater, and the people there were not nearly as excited. Was it a full theater, even? Yeah, it was mostly full. Okay, I mean, when I saw, I mean,
1: two heroes, like, I got late, and it wasn't any assigned seating, so I had to sit in the front row. That's how Full. The theater was like all, literally all the other seats were filled except for a few front row seats. So in this time, with heroes rising, like the theaters were full, but they weren't like full, full. There were still scattered empty seats in both screenings. Mm. But I do think it is very, you know, telling just by the box office, and the fact that Funimation put this out in, like, over double the theaters. They put it out in, like, over 1,200 theaters, I think only 200 less than they did Broly, so, obviously, like, there's more people who have been going out to this, it's been more accessible, and consequently, the box office domestically has been more than double, and could like I mentioned before, even match or surpass the Japanese gross of the film.
3: Yeah, I think like that's kind of the determining like factor in terms of like actual theater traffic because since it's in more theater locations, not everyone's flocking to the same theater. Yeah, like they did for hero, uh, two heroes. So yeah,
1: because yeah, you don't only have a few select nights to see it. You know that it's going to be playing through the week for a couple of weeks, but. But I think Funimation has finally cropped the secrets to doing successful long-term anime theatrical screenings, so they pulled some magic with Broly, and now they've done it again with Heroes Rising. Again, like, it was number four for the box office the weekend it came out, so another kind of victory for the mainstream visibility of anime theatrical features. But, yeah, theater experience, pretty tame. There were, like, on the opening night, there were definitely hardcore fans who came like there was someone who brought like a todoroki tro blanket
3: oh yeah i remember that.
1: they wrapped around themselves so you know oh.
3: it brought out
2: the fans. oh man like my, my my friends and i were giant nerds like uh i went to see this with my roommates and uh w- w- one of them was wearing their uh their favorite uh deku hoodie uh that they mm. bought from like wish or wherever and um i was in a combination of uh my Uraraka t-shirt and my all might socks
1: Oh, nice. I don't have any MHA apparel, so I didn't wear anything. So I, I wore anime stuff. I think both times I wore Dragon Ball Z shirts, because why not? I
3: think <laughs> I wore my Demon Slayer shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wrapping on a in action franchise. The real movie hero. that I'm excited for.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm just just imagining someone just being like, Hey, nerd, wrong movie.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But anyway... To go back to theatrical
1: experience, so I want to ask you a question. Did you feel like the audio during the opening sequence of the movie where they were chasing the villains was very quiet and silent? it was. That seems to not just be a one-time thing. I think throughout, there's just something wrong with the mix of the film that Funimation has sent out to theaters, where the opening scene is a lot more quiet than the rest of the film. I notice the uptick happens once they get to the island and once like the middle of like just introducing like what everyone is doing on the island, that's when the audio suddenly starts to go up and becomes a little more normal and just easier to discern, like the vocal track and the uh background music, like the balance becomes a lot better. It becomes easier to hear. Like in the opening scene, like it's so muted. It's so quiet that I, it's hard to make out what characters are saying. Like the background music and vocal track is like on the same level, so they're drowning each other out. It's
3: hard to the, kind of make the thing is like even on uh, the second showing, where like one of the guys on there actually went to one of the attendants and told them to like raise the volume. Like I still felt like it was really quiet.
1: Like, yeah, I mean in general, I don't think. I think the mixing of the film, there's just something off on it, where it just didn't reverberate throughout the theater as a normal film sound does. So I'm not sure what was up with that, if it was an issue of information. I feel like it is, because it wasn't just our experience, but a general experience that people felt like that opening scene was very quiet. It's so, weird, too,
3: because I don't remember that being an issue with two heroes. Yeah, again, I think this is a problem
1: with how they mix this movie that has caused this problem.
2: Yeah, like I said, uh, I, I definitely recall having trouble kind of hearing certain parts of the mix of, of, the, of the beginning of the movie. Um, ho- mm. Hopefully they'll fix that maybe for like the home release.
1: Hopefully, but... Where to start with this home? I mean, I guess I will say the premise of the film, the concept of it is a little less contrived than Two Heroes, just in the sense that Two Heroes is premise was like, oh, everyone's going to this hero convention on this one island. It just so happens that half of 1A also went here. It makes a little more sense that all of Class 1A is like doing this like group hero project. That they are helping out these residents on this remote island. So just that conceit makes a little more natural sense than like everyone just coincidentally all being in the same place and not realizing it until they are there. But I will give it credit for that. Uh, Obviously, you know, it's another neat thing is that The film does find more opportunities to use the entirety of the class of 1A and their courts and powers in unique ways. So everyone does get a moment where they shine and they have a spotlight. And they all do contribute to the fight against the villains. And the general concept of class 1A is on their own. They have to defend a bunch of people against some really powerful villains. You know, that is a good premise for, like, a, you know, storyline for these characters coming into their own as heroes. So, that is also, like, a good story concept there as well. I will say, then, I feel that the first time I was watching this film, I was exceptionally bored and waiting for the villains to actually show up on the island.
2: Yo, same. Yeah. I will, I will admit, as much as I, I liked seeing, you know, Class 1A do all these, like, menial tasks around the island, it's it, it's kind of cute, but I, I do admit that, like, uh, that, that the beginning is kind of slow, and you are just kind of, like, waiting for the big action to happen. Yeah. You're waiting to get to the fireworks factory.
1: And they spend time introducing, like, the two kid characters of the movie. And, you know, every Shonen Jump movie ha- introduces, like, an original character that is either, like, a princess, or it's a little kid, or it's a cool guy. In this movie's case, they're little kids. And my observation when they showed up is, like, oh, these characters are basically just a combination of Kota and Eri And so, that was kind of took me out of, like, truly getting invested in them. Like, I appreciate what they were going for with those characters. And, you know, they are easy to sympathize with because they're little kids. They have their emotional moments. I do think it is amusing that they basically had two kids. So, they could basically have two stand-ins for a Bakugo ba- fan and the Deku fan because Tatsuma really likes Deku, and then Mahiro, the girl, ends up really liking Bakugo. So you're kind of representing the two types of fans there. But yeah, the kids are kind of a symptom of something that kind of took me on the movie that is that they retread or reskin ideas already explored in the series more interestingly. In this film's case, it's like, oh, this little kid who really wants to be a hero, but is unsure of himself, and a little timid, and then we have this kid who doesn't really like heroes very much because they look up to their absent parental figures instead, and don't really trust heroes. The relationship between Mahou and Katsuma isn't unengaging. Like, it is... To some extent, a little worse. Because, of course, Mahiro is concerned about Katsuma's safety and stuff, so that's why she is trying to dissuade him from looking at the heroes or becoming a hero and stuff. And then there is a great moment towards the end of the film, which is probably one of the best character-acting moments, is when Nine captures Mahiro, is threatening her, and so Katsuma, that's when... He decides to be brave, and he like runs towards Nine. His arms are all flailing about, and it's very emotional. He's standing up to this villain, even though like he knows he can't win. But in the character animation, the emotion there is very, very strong. So there are good moments, good emotional beats they find with these characters.
2: Yeah, that moment in particular actually look as silly as it is to admit. I actually started crying at that moment because you can also tell, like if you if you're really paying attention, that like they they animate that moment in particular to be very reminiscent of when Deku runs out to save Bakugo from the sludge monster.
1: Yeah, another parallel being drawn there, definitely. You could definitely say that Maru and Katsuma are kind of mirrors of Deku and Bakugo. Yeah. When they were kids.
2: I appreciate like the little parallel callback they were going for there. I actually thought that was pretty well done.
1: Yeah. But basically it's like oh, this kid has a quirk that allows him to regenerate cells and basically heal people. Oh, it's kind of similar to Aerie, and that's kind of what the the people want him. It's like, okay, I get it. I do
2: kind of like how he's like, man, my my, my quirk's not that great. It can't help anyone. And then it turns out to be one of the most useful quirks you could have. I also find it weird how, like,
3: uh, really specific it is. Like, it feels like Way too specific of a quirk. Like, (laughs) cell activation? Oh, yeah. like It's actually kind of vague
1: term, cell activation. Like, you could apply that, I think, to even different concepts in terms of, like, manipulating cells instead of even just healing. So perhaps there even is a combat capacity you could use it in, but they don't explore that. It's just like, oh, it's basically another word for... Healing power. You can regenerate cells, you can heal people.
3: We just gotta make it sound cool, guys, so that they don't know we're just rewriting the same. Thing. Anyway, the reason the villain 9 is after Katsuma is because he wants this
1: power, because he went after Katsuma's dad, who also has the same power, but Katsuma's dad's power only works with type A blood, so that doesn't, uh, compatible with 9, so that's why he thinks Katsuma would be compatible, except, i you know, they don't really explain how is he so sure that Katsuma's power also will work with his blood type? We don't really know what Nine's blood type is. We don't know what Katsuma's blood type is. Like, why does he assume that he can get Katsuma's cell activation power and it'll work, like, more than his father's does?
3: This guy's <laughs> entire plan is, like, just, just, just filled with holes.
1: It's very flimsy-konsy, you know, just to get Nine
2: to the island. Guys, please prefer to by <laughs> his actual name, Diet, or I'm sorry, All for One.
1: Yeah, that's the entire, you know, selling point of the movie, like, oh, this guy, he's just like all for one. He has multiple quirks.
2: Except he's nowhere near as intimidating. At least not to me, he wasn't.
1: He wasn't at all. Like, he's just a nothing villain. He... Like, a scene that stands up to me is when he's going after the kids for the first time, and then Deku rescues the kids, and he, like, goes through the forest, and, like, a very weird shot because of how just static the background is when Deku goes into the trees and then jumps out of it, and the perspective's weird. So, I mean, I'll go into it later, but, like, there are some aspects of the movie that Look really good, but there are also other places where it really looks wonky. But anyway, like his reaction is so nonplussed; he just walks, following him. There's no sense of urgency. There's no sense of malice. He's just like so passe about everything, and that just makes for an incredibly boring villain. Like especially even later when he's like walking down the pad and he's just using his shield like to block all the characters' attacks. Like, there's no sense of, like, desperation, like motivation. It's just, like, he is, like, literally just a walking obstacle and threat for the characters, and that's it. Also,
3: what do you think about it, He could probably get just one shot of them all right there if he really yeah, wanted really, to?
1: Yeah, really, I mean the film falls back on this thing like, oh, all the characters are so outmatched by the villains in the first encounter, the villains could so easily defeat them, but for reasons, they decide to retreat instead, giving the heroes the opportunity to actually come out a plan to beat them, when the villains could beat them the first time. It's like, that's, uh, that's plotting, that's filler arc plotting right there, but, anyway, uh, also, 9... Beyond lacking personality, his motivations are incredibly shallow. The whole oh society of the strong, the powerful people will rule and the uh, destroy the the vibe between heroes and villains. It's like a much more shallow, less interesting version of meta liberation army is trying to do. But it's you know there's no really interesting social philosophy behind it. It's just the most bare basic oh strong people. Good,
3: strong people lead society. We live
2: it's, in it's a society.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, basically. I think
3: even like at one point, Baco's like disabled things. Yeah, <laughs> I do like that
1: lamp shading there. I will also say that the only sort of interesting villain in the film was Chimera, the guy who had wolf's head and he had alligator tail and chicken legs and phoenix arms. Like he was like the only. Sort of interesting character. Character you could sort of get a sense of his motivations because he was discriminated against because of how he looked all his entire life, and that's why he joined up with Nine.
2: He was really projecting on the Shoji at that one moment, and I was just like, "Damn, dude!" Like, chill. yeah,
1: that was a good line. It really kind of revealed a lot in just a short moment about like his motivations and character. So they they actually did just enough with him to make him like have a personality and interesting in a way that the other characters the other villains were really not they were just there
2: i kind of wish he was the main villain somehow because like you said he was he was a lot more interesting and i was a lot more invested in him and everyone else i didn't really care as much for us but especially the ninja guy that like got uh, he he, he got taken off pretty quickly
1: like he probably had the most unique power in terms of like he has these exploding mummies he can make and he can wrap people up in his mummies and exploit them. So that's kinda interesting, he also has no personality and then he gets taken out first by Bakugo and then he's not doesn't factor in for the rest of the film. Like he doesn't even expose information to the characters. They just beat him and that's it for that The only thing interesting about that character is that he is voiced by Rendon Blabber, who runs the YouTube channel Jello Apocalypse that I follow a lot. So that was actually kind of interesting that that guy got a professional role in the M.H.A. film. Yeah, I
2: totally didn't recognize him. Uh, That's that's, that's cool he got a role in the movie. Yeah. He makes pretty funny videos sometimes, too. I like his stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, good stuff. Oh, uh, Nine was voiced by Johnny and Bosch in the dub. The one saving grace of that character. Yeah, I I guess that did sort of make him more interesting dub and stuff for me, just by virtue of I like Johnny and Bosch.
2: Oh, see, I I didn't even catch that either. Now that you say that, like, the acting for the character I thought was decent at least. Yeah, like, like, like Vilar said, it was like the one thing that, like, made, that gave him any kind of, like, interesting features to work with at all
1: yeah i think the performances for all the characters were pretty strong in both the japanese and the english i definitely have a preference for the english in general for the main cast so you know i definitely think i enjoyed the film a bit more on the second viewing because i like the dub cast a lot
2: my hero academia so far is like the only anime manga franchise where i actually like both the Japanese and English casts about the same, and that's that's very rare for me in particular.
0: Yeah,
1: they're both quite equally good. I would say there are definitely some performances I like even better. The dub, like I love Clifford Chapin Spock ago. He's so much more angry in the dub. <laughs> it comes across, and some of the rewrites are also really nice. Like just slight rewrites, which are the same intention as the original, but like come across with like even more personality and bite in the dub, like, when he is explaining to Mahiro why he wasn't fooled by our Lucian magic, and he's like, I'm not stupid! Like, that was pretty <laughs> great.
2: Yeah, Clifford Chapman is uh, is pretty good.
1: I mean, Justin Bryan also does a lot of emotional heavy lifting in the climax of the film in particular. Like, he's very great in exactly.
2: that. Oh, yeah. They're both very good. Really, um, this is kind of a general thing about the dub but i think the one performance i'm still i like it just fine but i think eric Vale's shigaraki the not that i think that the performance is bad but i think somehow i prefer his japanese actor just a little bit because i feel like he to me he sounds a bit more menacing in japanese but i don't know that might that might just be me
1: yeah i will say that i think it is definitely chain from the beginning to now. I definitely, like, he comes across unstable and dangerous in that sense. But, yeah, there is a little bit of menace that can be lost from the original performance. I
3: feel like when Funimation was initially casting Shigaraki, they, had, like, misinterpreted what kind of character he was really gonna be. Yeah, I mean, Shigaraki, when he was introduced, like, he didn't even make
1: too much of an impression until, like, the all-for-one stuff started. Yeah. Like, I re- for the longest time, I didn't remember his name when he was showing up in the story. <laughs> I mean, for, for all
2: we knew about Shigaraki in the beginning, like, he was essentially what, what all the teachers at the uh, UA called literally a man-child. That's literally how he acted in the beginning. Whereas, he still kind of has those tendencies, but I feel like I could take him a lot more seriously later on in the story.
1: Yeah, his he is definitely more dangerous now and he has proven himself as, like, cunning and a threat and malicious and spiteful in a way that it's, like, very, very creepy and dangerous. So, Mm -hmm. you know. Like, the big moment was definitely what he did to overhaul.
2: Oh, that's still, like, one of his best moments.
1: Yeah. And then so he got a good moment at the end. I mean, he's superfluous to the movie, like, his inclusion, but, like, the moment at the end where he's like kinda taunting of Nine for losing and then he kills him was also <laughs> kinda of cool, creepy, aw, oh, Shigaraki.
2: That was really like one of the best parts of the movie where it's like, well, I have to make sure this movie isn't, uh, isn't canon at all. Psh, you're dead.
1: Yeah, make sure that Nine never shows up again. We don't have to address this character ever. And we have to have Shigaraki kill him because we can't have you know our heroes do it. We can't let blood on their hands.
2: We need to keep them pure. So I I know I know we're kind of going a bit all over the place here, but there was something I I kind of wonder about Nine and that uh, you know because not Nine is is a character that you know had a short cameo in a chapter of the manga, which makes me wonder like I, I wonder if Nine was maybe intended to be like some sort of final villain maybe for the end of the series or something. Cause I, like,
1: I don't know. I think he included that cameo because the movie is coming out. Like he might have came up with the characters. And I don't know if this character was ever planned to be in the series. Like he's a stand in for all four one, basically like you can interpret like in the movie as being like his original ending of Deku Makugo fighting against all four one. Yeah, And like, that's, But they can't actually fight all-for-one in this movie, so they have this cheap Mm stand-in.
3: Even Nine's design feels way too close to all for One. Yeah, that's the point. It's
1: just supposed to be, he's just supposed to be a stand-in, so there's no personality or menace to him.
2: Because I've always had the theory that, like, and I'm I'm not sure if it's, like, too much of a theory, but, like, you know, obviously at this point, uh, all-for-one is in prison, and he's assumedly not going to be out anytime soon. And, you know, I've always talked with my roommates because we all are into My hair Academia. We always talk about how, like, judging from, like, the conversation that he has with All Might near the end of Season 3, like, we always, we've always thought that, like, oh, man, like, yeah, sure, he's in prison now, but, like, it still kind of feels like he's in control of the situation. Like, he, like, it doesn't really felt like he's lost, like, he, you can't help but feel like he has, like, some kind of contingency plan somewhere, or whatever, waiting to be activated, you know, once he's gone, or something like that, and that's just, like, a theory we've always had, and, like, I almost kind of wonder, thinking about it now, if maybe 9 could have been something like that, where it's, like, at some point, maybe once he was ready to actually go out and, you know, do his thing, that maybe... Maybe he could have had some plan to, like, set him off into the world or something. I don't know. This is me kind of just thinking out loud at this point.
1: I mean, perhaps part of All for One's plan was to pass down his quirk of
3: All for One to Shigaraki.
2: I feel like that's the given. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, essentially.
3: Like, he's literally said that, like... Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm mostly just trying to justify Nine's existence because he had a cameo in the manga and that just made me think like, was there was it was there was there ever a point to him, maybe, or I don't no, know. No, I think that his cameo is just to promote the movie. It's Marketing kind of movie. I mean When
1: yeah. Shiki was in the manga of One Piece, it was just to promote Strong World. And whenever these cameos are in the any Manga is
2: like primitive. yeah, but at least Oda like tried to incorporate him into like the lore. I mean, he's
1: a part of the lore, sure, but like he's he's not ever good to to appear in the present in the story or actually affect things.
2: No, I know. I'm I'm just I'm just saying, like in term in terms of that kind of thing, I I wish we could have gotten that same kind of treatment for Nine, but unfortunately, he turned out to be again just a worse version of all for one. So
1: yeah, his introduction scene also. It kind of doesn't make sense how no one like noticed like he was in the area or got to him in time because when he takes the quirk from Cosmos body, he like starts destroying buildings around and caused a whole bunch of devastation. Like, how has no one encountered, fought, or stopped this guy yet? Like, how are there no heroes immediately on the scene? But you know, it's not the point. Yeah, they right? kind, kind of just let him walk about away that deeply. Like this movie doesn't think about such things that deeply. But I guess to. In terms of, like, people tracking down 9, we can bring up Hawks, I guess, who's also very superfluous to the movie, like, he's, you know, if you're worried about, oh, Hawks is gonna show up in the movie, ah, should I even see this? Because I haven't gotten to him in the show yet. Like, the point of him being in the movie is because, oh, hey, fans. You can see Hawks animated before he is animated in the show. That's enticing. But he's gonna do anything? No! He's just gonna be around for expository scenes. Or he could have, you know, substituted him for any other character. But and he can fly! That makes
3: <laughs> him cooler!
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, like, Hawks was kind of a nothing character in the film. He's just there, but it's like, oh, cool, it's Hawks. I mean, man. Like, Sabo did more in <laughs> film Gold than Hawks did in this
3: <laughs> Did he, though? Did he really? He had a fight
1: with Lucci. Like, that's for, like, so,
3: five seconds. That's more than Hawks
1: did. Hawks was definitely there for more than five seconds. Sabo was also... I think they had roughly the same amount of time.
2: Can I take this opportunity to, like, just rant about the whole... Because I remember when the poster for this movie you know, got revealed online, and, like, people saw Hawks in the background or whatever, and then, of course, you have all the all the people who follow the manga or whatever, who are like, oh my god, guys, oh, I, I don't know if I can see this movie, I don't know if anime-onlys can see this movie, it's a spoiler that Hawks is in this movie, and I'm just, and, and it started this whole thing where it's like, you know, like, literally people were so worried about, like, anime-only people being spoiled, that, like, you have people from Funimation who are literally like, guys, you can see this movie, you don't have to be caught up, it's fine, you can watch this movie, when, I don't know, the the whole thing about people worrying about manga spoilers with this movie, like, I think this is probably as good a time as any to address those kinds of things, because, you know, you do have characters like Hawks and, like, you know, the 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 doctor who... I don't I don't think it's like like a, like a spoiler to say that like the guy with the mustache in the beginning is clearly like the doctor from the very first episode of the anime um and that's about as much as I'll say from there but like you know th- like there are certain things that like if you are a manga reader and you are past a certain point there are going to be things that only you will notice and that's fine, like, just because you notice things that are from the manga doesn't mean they're automatically spoilers for anime-only people, because my thing is, none of these things were actual spoilers until you said anything, you know? Yeah. Like, especially, like, I feel like people overreacted to Hawks in particular, because people acted like people acted like Hawks was just gonna come in there and, like, catch up everybody on, like, on on his adventures or whatever, like uh, it's not like Hawks is going to s- uh, sit sit the audience down for five minutes and explain what he's been doing between chapters this and this or whatever. Like it's like the existence of a character is not a spoiler. I'm sorry, like please miss me with that, you know?
1: Yeah, he doesn't even reference the fact that he's undercover with the League of Villains. Yeah, like exactly that doesn't come out at all.
2: No, and like he's essentially again just just a cameo for people who follow the manga, and I mean like. You know, as somebody who likes the character of Hawks, like I, I liked his inclusion enough. Even though, again, like you guys said, like he 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 literally could have been substituted for anyone else. But like, it w- it was kind of nice to see him like do some like you know sleuthing a little bit. Even the again, like I I just I liked seeing him in the movie. Like I liked his scenes as superfluous as they as they were. Like I don't know, he he's just a character I, I like having around. I like having him on screen. He's a he's a cool character generally. Uh, but that's just me.
1: I like Hawks. I mean, I feel like you take out a scene from the movie, that doesn't really change much. He doesn't really do that interesting of investigating work. He just kind of makes pretty obvious inferences. So that's
2: true. It's kind
1: of whatever to me. But uh, the bigger spoiler, I guess, is that it does like reveal to anime watchers that Deku does have. The multiple quirks or whatever mm. it's interesting in this film though like like nine comments on it's like oh i can't take his quirk because there are a bunch of other quirks a part of this but it's not like deku says that or acknowledges that it's just like him thinking that to himself so it's like kind of throws like the placement of the timeline into question in a sense like it's, it's not like deku acknowledges it or even uses the power I remember you asked me about whether he uses power and I wasn't really sure. 'Cause I didn't I couldn't really tell if he did and then rewatching the film I was like, Oh no, he definitely only just used one for all. Yeah. Uh it kind of speaks to just how kind of action kinda washed over me that I don't remember specifically a lot of the things he did.
2: Yeah, I I remember that moment in particular and just being like, Oh, they just threw that out there. But like really thinking back, yeah. like, I think I think if you were to take somebody to this movie who who wasn't caught up with the manga, because obviously they're they're not going to cover any of that kind of stuff till probably the next season. But like you know, you could pass that off as like a that's just nine's like you know observation. Like nobody actually confirms that. So I think I think you're still safe with that in particular.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, in terms of abilities, I guess that airshot thing. I don't know if you in the show yet. Hasn't he? Used it once.
2: I could have sworn he did. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think at the time of when the movie came out in Japan, I don't think so. Like, mm-hmm. in the anime, I think he, like, recently just started using that, like, as far as, like, this weekend, I think.
1: Yeah.
2: Like, powers, I, I don't think are really huge spoilers, no. honestly. Yeah, I
1: don't really care. But the action in this movie, honestly... It was hyped up as an action spectacle, but honestly it was mostly underwhelmed by a lot of the action in the film. And in general, I think there were a lot of parts where the, the art was wonky. Like during the Bakugo mummy fight, there were a lot of, you know, wary off drawings of Bakugo during there. A lot of distracting moments of limited animation where characters are just sliding across the screen. You know, stuff you would expect, but for a theatrical release is very disappointing. Like, it definitely did not look, just like the first one, it did not look that much better than the show, if it was any better. I honestly think that the show generally looked better than most of this movie besides the climax. And my biggest problem with the action scenes is that they were hard to follow because of very confusing storyboarding, conservative shot choices. Like, they tried very hard not to have two characters on screen at the same time in full-body view. So it made it hard to understand, like, their sense of place in the environment and where people were, how they were connecting with each other. Because you just had a bunch of close-ups of, like, characters, like, firing their attacks from, like, a mid shot mid-body shot and then you see the results from another character like reacting from mid-body shot and like that makes it up a little bit but you don't have like characters like on the screen together full body view you're they're fighting each other and that made the action not very interesting to follow and like there are moments in the film like where it certainly characters are moving a lot It's very animated, but also, but oh, again, like, I don't really understand what's going on because of, like, how chaotic things can be. It's just, like, lines of characters, like, moving crazy ankles across the screen. I mean, the big thing is, like, towards the end, when Nine pulls out his ugly purple tornado... Which is, just has some awful effects animation, and Deku and Bakugou are trying to, like, to punch the tornado or whatever to stop it. It's like, you it can't tell, like, what they are actually doing, what is actually going on. It's just a bunch of flashing effects and poor CGI effects all across the screen, and it's just, it looks terrible. Just awful. And then, you know, the final bit of the fight, where, you know... I guess we will spoil the end of the film, because this is kind of a linchpin of the film, like, what kind of sets it apart and makes it any interesting is that, you know, they have this moment where Deku gives Bakugo, you know, one for all, and so they both power up using one for all and they get these, like, basically super science transformations, where their, like, hair, you know, goes up, and they have, like, these crazy eyes and auras and whatever. Anyway, they, you know, fight Nine. And so, you know, again, a lot of movement, a lot of angles and, like, exaggeration there. It looks neat. I don't really understand, like, the sense of space of, like, where characters are going to and from, but there are good moments there. A good, like, explosions, I guess, but... Yeah. Anyway, I think one of the best uh, moments, though, in that stretch is when Bakugo falls into the crater and he uses, like, his explosion to, like, just kind of explode through the crater and send the blast towards Nons. He's not even trying I to like... climb up. He's just, like, walking yeah, towards him and and trying like, to melt. Yeah, I like the personality there, because Bakugo is so exhausted and he's just, like, struggling <laughs> to just, like, get any traction to just, like, move forward and just, like, push through like, the walls of that crater and just exploded through. So that was, like, good character animation that really communicated, like, the sense of fatigue and exhaustion. So that's one thing I will say about that final stretch of the fight is that they do communicate that exhaustion and strain and pain that both characters are feeling. So that was indeed very good. But there was, you know, again, a lot of points in the fight where, you know, it was not very compelling action. And I will also say that Nine's powers generally are rather disappointing. Like, first of all, he's he's named Nine because he has nine powers. I think it's very strange that he was named Nine before he even got those powers. So that was quite a coincidence. But anyways, he doesn't even <laughs> use nine powers in the film. Like, I think at most he uses, like, six. Because he has all for one... He has the dragons, like the blue plasma dragons. He can fire a purple laser. He has yellow shields. He can identify other people's quirks. And then the storm. And I don't know. He doesn't have the I mean, last two because he's trying to get the ninth one all throughout the film to sell the generation. And I don't think there is a 8-1 that I remember that he actually uses. So, yeah. Anyway, he has just a bunch of random destructive ability quirks. It's not really... He doesn't really use it in that interesting a way. They're just they're meant to cause destruction.
2: It's very telling that, um, that even on the My Hero Academia wiki, they list, like... Yeah, they only list about six powers.
1: Yeah. So, they don't really use his abilities like to their fullest assignment and they don't give them very creative abilities. You know I'm like, oh, these are just some very generic destructive or useful in a fight capacity abilities.
2: Can I just say just on the topic of the animation, I even though I don't have as much to add as as you as you talked about, like, it is interesting to like actually like hear your opinions on the animation because like granted I only watched this movie once, so like maybe I'll have to see it again, but like maybe this is just because like i wasn't thinking about this kind of thing cuz i was again like when you're watching something for the first time you're just kind of having fun with the thing and again you don't really analyze too much of it until your next viewing of it and so you know keep that in mind when i like talk about my opinions on the animation but like i don't know like i i think i definitely had a more positive opinion like i i personally thought this movie looked better than 2 heroes cuz 2 heroes to me at least from what i could tell like you know what one of my things with two heroes and we talked about this before was that you know uh, the the level of production quality for two heroes really wasn't that much better than like a really good episode of the tv show right
1: yeah i sort of feel the same about this movie ultimately i think the only thing that really made the movie look better was that it had Definitely much better backgrounds with much better lighting. Yeah. So that up the quality level of the aesthetic. That's true. For quite a significant extent, but definitely with the animation character art there were definitely a lot of wonkiness that I thought was a little you no know, disappointing or theatrical feature. And then the end again was a really great animated sequence, but I think the show has also done mostly just as superb. And even the previous film, so the action sequence is also
2: pretty much on par. It did look. A, I mean, I will admit, like as much as I really loved that sequence, and I think a lot of the like you know one for all sequences I, I, at near the end of the movie, I I do think were like the best looking parts of the movie. I will admit, you know, just after watching the overhaul arc in the anime, I couldn't help but feel like parts of that movie were kind of similar to. To the infinite, you know, 100% uh, one-for-all powers that Deku had near the end of that arc, so. Mm
3: -hmm. It
2: felt like a similar kind of sequence, not exactly the same thing, but, like, you could tell that, like, you know, that they were both, like, similar sequences, almost, in terms of, like, the level of animation and production quality.
1: Yeah, that final sequence also... Very similar to the final five with overhaul in this latest season. I mean, I think the song is the same even. Oh yeah,
2: for sure. Yeah, they even use the same song, which you know, like I still like the sequence, but even I, even I could admit that yeah, that the, they were kind of similar. Though I, I think I like the way they use it in the anime better than in the movie, personally speaking.
3: I agree.
1: Like the song is very somber feeling, and in the moment, I, I do understand why they have a somber song playing one like, they're both using One for All, because, you know, it is bittersweet, because Deku is passing the torch, and in his mind, this is going to be the last time that he'll ever be able to use One for All, so it's just, like, this super desperate emotional thing for him, but it it almost feels like you kind of want something more triumphant there with, you know, Deku Bakugo fighting side by side using the same power and a cool capacity, but it's, it's a little mixed feeling there. It's a good song, though. You know, it does fit the music and the emotion of the characters and the character acting. It's, you know, it works.
2: Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. i I still liked a lot of the animation in the movie, like... I mean, uh, uh, again, I I think you gave a better analysis of it than I ever could, but, like, the, the most I can say is that, like, I personally thought it was better than Two Heroes, but I also wouldn't put it on the level of, say, like, I wouldn't say it's anywhere near as impressive as, say, like, something like Broly or whatever. Yeah,
1: Broly and One Piece Stampede had, like, much stronger animation highlights and action scenes, I feel. Yeah. I will say that one thing I appreciated in this film, generally, was how the characters use their quirks in tandem to try and stop the villains. I think that was very creative, and I liked that teamwork-based strategy. I feel like in the fight with Nine, because Deku and Bakugo's powers are like, oh, they just, you know, punch explode people. All the nine fights weren't interesting, but I do think the fight with Kimura where we had Froppy, Todoroki, Ida, and Kirishima against him, I thought that was actually quite interesting. I mean, it still has some of the problems I had with basically all the fights in the film where like the shot choices didn't communicate the action as effectively as I think they could have, but I think in general, the strategy and just kind of, ultimately, the sense of victory was more satisfying, because it really took all four of them working in tandem to, like, just pin that guy down, and so Todoroki could use his ice to, like, freeze him.
3: That was kind and of effed off. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised he's alive <laughs> after that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I have, I mean, I guess when you get frozen over in anime, you don't. It's just like. Frostbite does not
2: exist, stuff. apparently.
1: No, not at all. But because it was super desperate to the last moment, because you had to have Kida kick one of his arms out of the way when he was trying to attack Todoroki. He had Froppy like pin down his tail when he was trying to attack Todoroki, and then you had them like both getting bashed in the head together when he like collided his arm and tail or whatever, and like you see them like bleeding out. Later, which was like, "Whoa!" They took some heavy damage there. So, like, I, that fight, I thought was actually quite well done, just from like the strategy angle, use of powers angle, and the the, the the sense of stakes and the struggle of it. Yeah,
3: that was easily like the best like team effort within the film. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, because the
1: because the fight when Mummy ultimately boiled down to everyone else was useless, and Bakugo just beat the guy by exploding him, and then. With Slice, it was like Dark Shadow tips over and then just, you know, attacks her and then, like, they collapse the top of the cave and then Rocks just crush them. Yeah. So it's like, the fight with Chimera was, like, kind of the best one, just easily in terms of strategy, use of powers, all of that. Now,
2: I, I totally agree with that, but I want to say that I think the MVP of this movie was Saro.
1: Yeah, I think Saro definitely stood out in this movie- in terms of how he used his powers and just, like, his spotlight moments. Because, like, in the series, I can't really think of any spotlight moments for that character. But here, like, he definitely really had a lot of chance to shine. Like, that moment where, you know, Bakugo and Deku are on the ropes and then he and Uraraka, you know, both try to take opportunities to attack Nine. I mean, they're swatted away, but that also really stood out. Oh, yeah. And also, Sarah and Uraraka using their powers in tandem, you know, to... You know, has a whole strategy of, like throwing rocks at him, and what that that is to
2: Like, I I really appreciate a lot of the lot of the uh, the ambushes in the beginning. What with um, what with uh, Momo using her uh, giant cannons, and uh, and uh, even Aoyama and Minetta kind of working together. Mm-hmm. I liked how this movie used a lot of the more like support ish type characters in, yeah. in really like useful ways that like actually you know contributed to the combat
1: definitely i think that is a good strength of the film is that it used the characters and their powers in very effective ways
2: yeah and honestly that was like the most entertaining part of the movie i think Mm
3: -hmm.
2: but i guess uh is is there anything else we want to talk about or do we want to move on to because i i have thoughts on like the use of uh of uh one for all in this movie unless there's Anything we-
1: Yeah, let's head to the final, the big linchpin of the movie. So the whole idea of like, this is where my idea for the final arc was that I decided not to do, but now I'm gonna put it in this movie thing it comes from. And so yeah, it's just this idea of Deku, you know, gives one for all to Bakugo so they can both use together to fight a big villain. That's, like, the big idea I guess Horko she had for the original ending that I think he has widely decided to do something else. But I will say that, again, the imagery is cool of their transformations of them working together with his power. I mean, it. I don't know if it totally communicates that well with Bakugo, like, what he can do for most of the fight. It's Like, he still mostly uses, like, his exploding powers, but... You know the imagery of like them shooting that giant air blast. I guess to break up the clouds of Nine Storm. It's you know fine. It's like the moment of them lifting their fists together. You know that pose, that sense of triumph. You know, you know, pretty
2: good imagery there. Like one for all Bakugo is like is like a character design that like I'd be surprised if they didn't use in a My Hero Academia video game anytime soon as like DLC. <laughs> oh, they're definitely <laughs> like going so to many people through. are gonna main <laughs> him. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they're definitely going to um, include him in like, merch and
2: whatnot. Because to be fair, I I thought that design was actually pretty cool.
1: Both of their like, super-powered One for All designs are pretty good. I will say, one thing I thought was a little lame about the decision to give Bakugo One for All, it's like, they have Deku go to One for All 100%, like, to try and punch through the tornado or whatever, And, like, it doesn't work. And I feel like that moment, like, super trivializes One for All and its power. Like, the uh, idea that Deku could use willingly 100% of One for All, and it doesn't ultimately, like, immediately destroy him. Like, not just that it doesn't work, but that it doesn't, like, immediately destroy him, that he can't do anything afterwards. Like, I feel that was super cheap. But, yeah, I mean speaking of cheapness, like, the resolution of the whole thing, like, I was not expecting, I'm obviously, obviously it was not gonna stick because this is a movie, but I was expecting, like, the end of it to be, like, oh, was like, no, Deku, I'm gonna make my way with my own power, I'm giving this back to you, or the twist would be, oh, you didn't consume a part of me, so the power didn't stick that way, like, they didn't kind of mention that whole aspect of, like, you have to, like, consume a part of the other person, like, their hair, and swallow, and I thought it was just, that. like,
3: any, like, bodily fluid. Yeah. yeah, I don't know.
1: Maybe that was the whole
3: point. Because, like, they both had cuts on their hands, so I think the logic there was, like, the blood from Deku was going into, like, Bakugo's wound. So, so okay. like,
2: they, they could have they done something worth, uh, with that, because, like, obviously in the beginning, All Might had Deku ingest his hair, and so, like, you could have used, like, some kind of loophole there where it's, like, okay, yeah, I'm sure if it's in your bloodstream, that's one thing, but, like, in order to actually inherit it, you need to, like, actually ingest something from the user, maybe? Yeah,
3: they could have just... Ex- or you know, just go the straightforward way
2: literally just have, uh, go give it back
3: to him. Yeah, I was saying that would have
1: been the most satisfying
0: <gasps> <Yeah>.
3: character
1: moment, <laughs> yeah. but instead it's like, oh, no, it was a music machina. Oh, one for all just allowed this to happen miraculously, because of the circumstances. Oh, thank you so much previous inheritors of uh, one for all, woo. And then <laughs> Bakugo doesn't remember it all because he can't have character development from this filler movie. Yeah, which so is great. fucking
2: stupid. And I guess it's
1: okay that Deku remembers it because he's not going to mention it again, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, so the resolution just makes the entire moment very cheap because it is like a big, you know, character moment for Deku to like willingly give up the power, uh, just for the sake of like, defeating a villain, protecting people, but, like, for the resolution to be all, it just all worked out without any consequences or without any, like, big other character moments happening. One it for all
2: gave us very
1: miracle. Later. Yeah. I can to do that. Not gonna...
2: yeah, that, that, Yeah, the way they hand-waved that was really stupid. It was such a transparent hand-waving, like, probably one of the most I've ever seen in one of these movies, honestly, but, uh... yeah. Uh, man you know like so here's the thing like i was already like aware of you know uh one for all being used in this movie but even then i still wasn't ready for it like seeing it seeing it in action is like a whole other thing and like there was a moment (laughs) there was a moment where me and uh, me and my friend who was watching the movie we like we like kind of had to look at each other for a bit and like we didn't say anything, but we were clearly just like, "Is this happening right now?" And I think, I think the rest of the th- rest of my theater was uh, pretty surprised. I th- okay, so this this is around the point where two guys in my theater were just being complete assholes because there there were there were two moments where like, and I forget which, but like, th- th- there were like at least two moments during the movie or during its climax where like. You see, like, Deku and Bakugo pass out or whatever, and one guy's like, Oh, they're dead! They're so dead! Like, somebody actually yelled that out, and then, uh, and then we, like, literally the second time they did that, like, after they used One for All, uh, they were like, Oh, they're dead! They're so dead! And, like, my friend actually yelled at them and went, Shut up, weeb! <laughs> Which I don't think they heard us, but it was just like, of course like i mean thankfully they didn't do this throughout the whole movie but it's like of course like we're we're gonna end up getting the guys who like who you know who think like oh this is like a mystery science three uh theater 3000 thing or whatever where we could just we could just make her we could just yell out our own jokes because we're we're just as funny as them you know that kind of asshole like i don't run into those kind of people a lot but like they're the worst yeah i think other than crying children in theaters that might be the second worst thing in a movie theater, but, um... Sorry, that's, that's, that's a whole other, other tangent. But, um, the the whole, like, one-for-all thing, I was so on board for this movie, and I was so invested up until that point, because, like, I feel like that's the point in the movie where it's like, yep, My hair Academia has finally jumped the shark. But, really, you know, the, the one thing I do like about this idea is that I think it is kind of in line with Deku's character and how, like, self-sacrificial he is. Because, honestly... I don't know, like I'm very mixed about this idea because I like the idea of at the end of My Hero Academia, Deku being in such a tight spot to the point where it's like the only thing he can do is pass off his power. Like I, I feel I feel like the idea of that moment and like uh like like the themes behind that idea I think are good, but like I don't know. Um I don't know how I feel about it besides that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good idea, and I think, again, it is a good character moment for Deku to be willing to give up his power if it means saving people. Like, it is very in-character for him to do, it is very heroic and self-sacrificial, and that is, you know, very admirable. What might have been an interesting character beat in the manga, and I think it could be, uh, if he decides to do it in an alternative execution. In this film, I feel because the circumstances and the stakes just didn't feel as desperate or as personal to the characters as I think it could have been, it just did not come across as earned as it could have been.
2: Yeah, like, like this is the kind of thing that I think would have played better if this were the end of the series.
1: Yeah, like, the justification to pass the power felt very flimsy. Like, the circumstances felt just too slight for him to make such a choice. Because, like, at risk here, at the stakes here, is just, with one kid losing his powers, and that is important. That is important, but to give up, like, that power, just for the sake of that, just, it doesn't feel just that...
2: Needed enough. Yeah, I mean, I I I kind of agree. I guess the the only other thing that like I'm kind of wondering is if like if, if this was a scrapped idea for the ending, like it makes me it makes me kind of wonder like what else Horikoshi has in store for for the end of the series. Like I wonder what other ideas he'll fall back on. But I mean, obviously that's that's for way farther in the future, and there's probably no use in speculating on that at this point. But I don't know. It just makes me it just makes me wonder.
0: I am indeed
1: curious about that, too, and I'm probably looking forward to seeing how the ending of the series proper will
2: play out, now that Horvoshi has kind of let go of this one idea he had. Um, the only other thing I'm kind of worried about is, I wonder, because... I mean, look, I think it's safe to assume that we're going to get another My Hero Academia movie.
1: Yeah, even though they touted it as, oh, this will be, like, the final one, or, like, this is the <laughs> last idea I have for one, like, god, they're obviously going to make more, especially, like, after these box office returns, like, there's money to be made.
2: It prints money. See, I feel, I feel like people have taken that comment and really run with it, because, and... Yeah. I'll have to find the tweet, because I think Caleb translated the comment at one point, the person who is responsible for officially translating the My Hero Academia manga in Shonen Jump. You should go read it. But uh, yeah, the way his translation read, it read more like Horikoshi didn't know like, oh, well, how are they going to top this movie? This may have to be the final one or whatever. Yeah, Like people have taken that as like, yes, this is the final movie. And it's like, no, that's that's not right. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how they'll top themselves. Like, I'm kind of, because, you know, uh, we were talking about how, like, you know, there are already so many ideas in this movie that, like, the series has used, and has used, like, so much more effectively, that, like, I'm almost kind of worried that, like, they're possibly running out of ideas for movies. I don't know.
3: They probably are. they'll figure
1: out something. (laughs) I'm sure.
2: I mean, they'll put something out to make money. <laughs> yeah, I'm just hoping it's good, I guess. But I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what the future brings. But I don't know. I, I think. I think overall, I'm pretty positive on this movie, despite despite its criticisms. Like, I had I had a really fun time with it again, d- despite how contrived a lot of the narrative could be. But like, it's so hard because, like, as much of an improvement as I think this movie was upon like two heroes, I. Th- Think I still like Two Heroes a bit more just because it was a little simpler.
1: I think I like Two Heroes more because I think that what they did with their relationship between All Might and uh, David Shields was much more interesting than the, the dynamic between Deku Bakugo and the kids in this film and also I think that the film offered something more special in the Deku All Might team up. Whereas with this Deku-Bakugo team up, like, it is special that they're both using, like, one for all and whatnot. But, like, them fighting together against the villain is something I'm sure we're going to see in the series proper. Oh, yeah, for sure. Before it ends, so, you know. I mean, this is the first time we're really seeing it to, like, this dramatic capacity. But I feel like when it gets to the moment of the series, I think, like, it has the potential to be, you know,
3: a little more
1: emotional, a little more
2: engrossing than the film It's going to feel is, more earned, because, like, yeah. where we're at in the manga, like, they have gotten better, but, like, I, I feel like we're still a ways away from their actual big epic team-up.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, well, I'm looking forward to that in the uh, manga. Yeah. But I would say if you're an MHA fan, like, this film is, you know, still a... Fun watch, so if you can still see it in theaters, or if uh, you can check it out on home video or whatnot, you should check it out. If you're not that into My Hero, it's not something you need to go out of your way to see, but, you know, it could be a way to pass the time. Definitely, though, I find it pretty disappointing, and definitely it was not on the same level as you know, some previous franchise films that we had seen recently that really did bring out their A-game. And even then, with stuff like Stampede, I still wasn't super totally satisfied with that. But, like, you know, I feel
3: like this was a step down even from that. So the takeaway of today is wait for the Demon Slayer movie. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, uh, you know, that... (laughs) It's going to have one advantage of being, like, based on, like, the manga proper. So, like, uh, there'll be consequences. There'll be emotional And it will be amazing. Yeah, I mean, Ufotable will definitely bring out the game for that. I'm
2: looking forward to that. You see, as, as weird as I think it is to, like... I don't know, I feel like the comparison to Stampede is almost a little weird. Because, at least with Stampede, like... Yeah, sure, like, the narrative of that movie isn't super interesting, but, like, you can kind of forgive it because that's, me- that's meant to be a celebration of the franchise. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, it ha- Stampede had more to offer than, like,
2: It, it was a One Piece fan service
3: movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, this movie is also, like, fan service for fans, too. But, I, like, on that same level, I think Stampede was more satisfying to me as a fan of One Piece than this was satisfying to me as a fan of my hero.
2: Yeah, the I feel like the story for this movie could have been a little better. If I'm being for real, like it wasn't super great, but like it's still a fun movie, I think, regardless of that. Yeah,
3: it's
1: an average jump franchise action movie, but it's
3: entertaining. A solid mid. <laughs> yes, yes, I would say so.
2: My mid hero academic, yeah, I, I fucked that joke up, it's fine.
1: I mean, it's better than average because it does do something interesting that you wouldn't normally see in the series in terms of the climax, but yeah. The the film up to that point wasn't really that much a step beyond what you would normally expect from these kind of affairs.
2: I guess as long as these My Hero Academia movies keep giving us something that we're not going to see in the main series, I'm still for them, but again, I don't know how long they can keep that up in particular.
1: We will see. We will see what their next idea will be, and I'm sure that in two years' time or even less, we will see the next film out of theaters.
2: Just, just watch. This is this is going to become this is going to become Detective Conan. We're going to get yearly My Hero Academia movies.
3: The, the I exception hope not, there's, there's the, the production of
0: the show will suffer. I think. I mean, they.
1: The show still looks pretty good, but there are definitely points that people noticed and, you know, the Muriel episode especially probably took a toll because of production on this film. So it'd be best if maybe, you know, they work on a season of the show one year, movie another year, alternate that way. We'll
3: see what they We really don't need yearly MHA movies. No, no I, I mean, love
2: I love My Hero Academia, but like, yeah, I I'm okay with not getting a yearly movie. Like, and let's see, that's another thing too. Like, I feel like people really shit on the anime because of it, and people make it sound like now the anime is just suddenly looks like garbage, and I don't think that's the case. But you could you could tell no. you could tell that like you know there are episodes that could look better, but still,
3: yeah. But I'm pretty sure they have separate uh, I mean, the studios in Bones fine, that are working on the film. It's like so.
1: they definitely have cut corners in certain places. And yeah, the Muriel episode was where people were disappointed because they relied on a lot of, you know, still frames and didn't animate it as well as people would have wanted. yeah. But, yeah. You know, so hopefully we don't encounter
3: a situation
1: like that again.
3: Yeah, but the films on the show are being worked on by different teams, so it doesn't really matter in the long run.
1: Yeah, but the main director of the series spent time on this film instead, so you know, it it took talent away from the show that wouldn't normally work on the show. That's fair. Regardless, the show is still pretty strong and very enjoyable, so it doesn't it, it wasn't hurt too much. But in terms of, like, film release schedule, you know, it is definitely best that the One Piece films, for instance, only come out, like, every three years now. They're much better as a consequence, and hopefully, like, these MJ movies, they also
3: come out every couple of years and not every year. Unless yeah. you have a Heiji Hattori in your series, you can't have a yearly film. No, <laughs> I mean, it definitely helps if you have, like, a Deuteragonist you can build your film. Oh, I'm so oh,
2: oops, I I didn't know that was the rule.
1: <laughs> but in any case i think that wraps up our discussion of heroes rising are there any final thoughts that people
3: want to add or it was okay okay then i think we will wrap <laughs> up the show
2: very middle of the road but again i'm still mostly positive on it so all
1: right and so Colton, where can the good people find you on the internet?
2: All right. Well, if you wanna follow me on Twitter and watch me tweet things every once in a while, because that's what you do on Twitter, uh, you could follow me at sniperking three uh, two three. I also host and produce a few other podcasts, such as uh, you know Life Lessons the Gintama, Manga Cast, or One Podcast Prevails, which is a Case Closed Detective Conan podcast. Uh, all all these you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, you'll find links to pretty much whatever I'm producing at the moment. And so, yeah, that's pretty much about it for me. And V
3: Lord, where can people find you? Working to death?
2: <laughs> um.
3: But on the internet, where can people find you? Alright, the internet. People can find me on Twitter at V LordGTZ, where I'm usually just kind of hanging around, occasionally talking about what manga I'm reading and so forth. Aside from that, you can find my more manga focused reviews over on com, and my more Tanami focused articles and anime reviews over on dot com. aside from that i also host the demon slayer podcast you don't say (laughs) yes my mentions of demon slayer in this podcast are totally not telling but yeah we cover the anime and the manga of demon slayer and everything in between we recently finally hit 1,000 followers on our Twitter and we have something special planned for that Damn, cool! as well. So you can follow us on Twitter at D Podcast. So definitely go ahead and do that and go and listen to our podcast on basically any podcast streaming platform. If you just look up Demon Slayer Podcast, it'll probably show up. So, yeah. Indeed. And you can find me on Twitter at
1: LumRamayasha and by LumRamayasha, I'm basically Amir... Animation, Revelation, and Analyst, wherever there's a long ramayasha, that is where you can find me, and you can read my reviews on all-comer.com as well. We definitely have a lot of manga reviews coming in, so you definitely look forward to more being published on there. But as for the show, you can follow Manga Mavericks at manga underscore mavericks on Twitter, manga mavericks at youtube slash c slash manga mavericks is our YouTube channel, and we are on Every podcast platform of choice, whether that be Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we are on it. And we would be very grateful if you left us a rating and review on there, because that helped us gain visibility, helped us grow the show, reach more hearts and minds and ears, and help us improve the show even better. And you can also send us feedback to MongoMax at com to share your thoughts on our podcast, what do you think of My Hero Academia, Heroes Rising? Did you like it more than two heroes? What did you think about the ending? Share your thoughts. We'll read them on the show. We always love hearing your listeners' thoughts and discussing them. Again, at gmail.com. But if you want to support the show, help us continue producing more podcasts, do more projects, you can head over to patreon.com slash where We have a variety of tier options where you could pledge your support for just a couple of bucks, and it really helps us pay for hosting costs and material costs and all that stuff. And we have some bonus content on there for you guys to listen to. If you pledge at our $5 here, we release a monthly bonus pod at the end of every month for patrons only. And we have a current new bonus pod podcast project that Colton is doing with Dr. Colton, if you want to take that away.
2: Yeah, if you uh, sign up for the $5 tier on our Patreon, you will get uh, monthly access to, uh, to new episodes of the Manga Mavericks Book Club, uh, in which we are currently reading through Masami Kuramata's Saint Seiya. Uh, it is my first time reading through Saint Seiya, as well as my good friend, Doctor, from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network. Uh, it's his first time as well. And so, yeah, if you if you want to listen to two guys talk about Saint Seiya and, you know, travel blindly through the dark as we discover Saint Seiya for the first time and uh, hear our first reactions to things, go sign up for our Patreon. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun reading that series so far, and uh, I can't wait to read all 28 volumes. We're definitely going to be reading all of it. So, uh, yeah, uh, actually, at the time of this recording, uh, we do have a free preview of the first episode of that read-through on our podcast feed for everybody to listen to. So, you know, if you want a preview of, like, uh, you know, what to expect from that read-through series, uh, go listen to that. And uh, if you want to listen to more of it, the rest of the read-through will be available exclusively on our Patreon, again, at the the $5 tier. Uh, So please go sign up for that if you're interested. Again, uh, signing up for our Patreon is the best way to help support Manga Mavericks and uh, anything we do. So please and thank you.
1: Indeed, and I highly recommend the book club episodes on Saint Seiya because I really enjoy listening to it. I think they're great for fans and newcomers alike. Great analysis of the Viz Media release and the fights of Saint Seiya and the sound effects and everything that makes it so cool. So definitely check that out. But if you want to check out more of our podcasts again, you can check that out on our, all of our various feeds. And that should do it for now, though, for this episode of Mong America Act
0: Movies. And we will see you in the next one. And see! hold on a minute mid credit scene oh man there's more you thought the movie was done but no there's more scenes to interrupt the cracks and keep the movie going keep you in the seat you have to stay to the end
2: as is by but law no
0: there is indeed more to talk about because a month after they put the film out in the theaters Riz decided to finally release a one-shot tie into the film called My Your Academia League of Villains Undercover, which is basically a short 10-page
1: chapter that details how Nine got experimented on by the League of Villains and got all the all for one power whatever. So we get a little more context on Nine Apparently, his original quirk was to control storms, control the skies. He always likes storms because they destroy the world and they wash away things. So, he's crazy, basically. The Doctor basically says it much because his whole ideology... Is that all the strong should be at the top? They should control society, but they are being discriminated and subjugated against. They're being kept down and suppressed. So I wanna destroy society and return the world to a place where the strong tribe. And he uses the example of think about it, lions and apes, which is stronger? And he's like looking in a zoo. It's a flashback. He's looking at A lions in the zoo and saying, man, those lions, they're stronger than humans. They should be out here, free, at the top of society. We should be serving lions, because they are stronger than
3: humans. Man, this is such an original
2: motivation, guys. It's a very striking metaphor.
1: Uh, (laughs) sure, striking. So the doctor kind of cuts through all the bullshit and says, well, this guy's a madman, and that's basically all that this prequel chapter manages to accomplish. It just establishes, yeah, this guy is crazy. His ideology is sophomoric and simple-minded.
2: He's not an interesting character at all. He's just a loon. We also forgot to mention that Shigaraki looked at him once.
1: Yeah, so they knew each other, I guess, or at least they were aware that each other existed. So, and
3: Trigrock is now wearing his hands.
1: Yeah, so you could <laughs> assume that this is after the My Villain Academia arc, I guess.
3: Or I guess like we did see him when he was walking around casually. Not Actually, his no, hands. because yeah, this is before, because before, because we other. see all for one. So yeah, yeah. I mean that one thing that we saw him like in casual wear, he doesn't wear his hands.
1: Yeah, I suppose so. So maybe this is like kind of at the beginning of when Shigaraki was taken under the mentorship of All for One. So besides more context on Nine, we sort of get glimpses a little bit more onto the situations of his subordinates. I mean, we pretty much knew Kamara's deal from the movie, but I guess Slice was in an abusive uh, domestic situation because her bedroom, I guess, is all very messed up. And then, I don't know, Mummy, I guess, was just a
2: tug, And so he beat up tugs. I guess. How how interesting characters. We also forgot to mention that that Nine was supposedly born in a squatty potty.
1: Yeah, it's so strange. Like, he was, I guess, born in a urinal, and it's bleeding all over. I don't know. I don't know. Is he a result of a botched abortion?
2: I don't know. I don't know. I, I thought that was... That was a particularly weird panel. I didn't really know what to make of that.
1: It was very strange, you know. I think they should have just put all this information in the movie. It doesn't make nine a more interesting character. It in fact just cements that he is a very shallow character, but at least it gives more context for the character, more to latch onto, so I would have liked to see this be a scene in the movie. Just a short, two-minute scene. That's all you needed. But no, it's like this 10-page chapter that was released a month after the film was in theaters here in the U.S. So and by the time this came out, no one can even go
3: see the Honestly, film that in theaters. Genu- That genuinely confused me. Like, why release it so late?
1: yeah a month late literally because the film came out in theaters february 26th this came out march 26th
2: uh, i wonder if it's because if i'm assuming correctly i think i think this was a bonus that may have been given out around the time of the movie like like if you went yeah. to theaters like you could you could receive this like special one uh one shot and uh in a special yeah, and you can volume, read it yeah. in like a minute before the film starts. Yeah, so I wonder if maybe they had to wait until theatrical screenings were done to release it. I'm not sure. Maybe there was some That's kind of logistics behind strange. it, but but it was only yeah.
3: bundled with that in Japan. So yeah, I mean, it's not like we
1: got it over here in print, given out when we went to see that the would movie. Be cool. They didn't even give us nice that, things to uh, <laughs> replicate that effect, like. They should have released a day and date with the movie coming out in theaters. So people could read this, like, a minute before watching the yeah. movie. Because this has, like, again. no value after the fact. Because, like, yeah. they already
3: explained this stuff in the movie, really. So it's not... Yeah,
0: and we've seen the movie. Nine's dead. Who cares? <sighs> this doesn't tell us anything
1: more about him, really. Like, it doesn't make him a more complex character. It just says, oh, well... I guess Storms was his original quirk if you're wondering that. <laughs> and then his motivation is that he has a god complex. So there you go.
2: I will say I, I I think that was the one thing I did like about this one shot was that was at the beginning when he when he talked about how he liked watching storms and whatnot. Like, I don't know. I I felt like that was a somewhat humanizing a little bit. Like I felt like he at least got to talk about like his likes, stuff that he likes, stuff that makes him feel you know at ease and comfortable. Like I feel like that's at least somewhat humanizing a little bit. It makes him feel a little more like a human being. But outside of that, there really isn't much else to add to his character.
1: To me, it just cements just how sophomoric his mindset is because the reason he likes. Storms is because they destroy things, and he hates the world, so he likes watching the world be destroyed.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a shame because I, I I got really excited when uh when they put this on the Shonen Jump app, only to see that oh, it's not really. It really doesn't add much to the movie at all, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, the same thing was true about the Heroes Rising one shot too. I I guess.
2: I mean not a... like I feel like with All Might Rising, at the very least, like it may have not added much to like two heroes in particular, but it at least added to like my hero academia's overall lore a little bit. Yeah, we did see more of All Might's early days in that. So yeah.
1: yeah, that was a little more valuable than this, which is about a character that's never gonna show up
2: again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if you if you have the show to show the jump app and you want to read this, I mean, 10 extra pages of My Hero Academia, if, if you're into that. Yeah, it'll literally just take you a minute to read.
1: And <laughs> by minute you'll be like, well, that sure was a chapter. I sure wish I had read this before watching the movie so I could have gotten the most out of it. But there we go. And now back to your credits in progress.
2: That was that was amazingly useless. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that that's going to be good. All right.